two things at the end of each of your pews that I wanna, want you to look at. And if you have not filled out one of our realm cards, I would encourage you to do that. It's one per family. Uh, we are updating our uh, database system at the church. And if you haven't filled out one of those, if you will do that and just give us some information, this is invaluable for us just to help us be our very best and connect with one another. And so those are at the end of your pews. And if you, you can do that, you've got 35 minutes to fill that information out. Uh, the other thing is you have a sheet here that is a reference sheet, and we've done that each of these weeks in our series on one big story. Um, and I want you to have that. There ought to be a, enough copies at the end of the pews for you. And uh, there's been a chart in my brain that I had to get out, and it's on the back of the page. And I feel better now that I've, I've gotten it out. I want want you to turn to the back of that page and to see this chart. Um, for us, God's Word is life to us. And if it is life, then we are to be students of the Word and we are to know the Word. And I think many times we know parts of the Word uh, but we do not see it within its context. And so part of what we are doing this year is helping you see the big picture of the Bible and put it into context. Um, this morning we're going to be talking about Jeremiah. He's one of the major prophets. Uh, but this chart is a chart that helps you to understand the chronology of the Old Testament. It may be too much for you, but if the Word of God is our life and we need to know it and we are instructed to be students of the Word, then we ought to understand the Bible in its big picture. And this, this chart helps you to do that. There's not going to be a test at the end of the year. I wish there were, but there's not. But I would encourage you, if you understand the value of God's Word, that you would look at this and study it and process it so that you would understand. Keep it as a resource. Actually, these pages are on our church's website with each of the sermons. You can go back and look at those if you miss those. But the Old Testament is broken down into the books of history, that's one column, the writings, and the prophets. And the reason I give you this chart is because we're into the section of the prophets and it may get a little bit murky. I want you to know, and you can see in the chart, that the prophets fit within the books of history. So you start in Genesis and you go all the way through Nehemiah. Really, even Esther is a book of history, but it's also, I put it in the column of the writings. And you see the different writings and where they fit in the chronology of the books of history. And this morning, we're going to talk about Jeremiah for about 30 minutes. And his book of writing is the book of Lamentations. It was the book he wrote when the city of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. And it is his lament to God uh, for the circumstances that he was in. And so you see that it is a writing of Jeremiah. It's, it's in a parallel position to Jeremiah. Um, I wanted you to see in the prophets that, um, well, 
there's writing prophets and there's non-writing prophets. And we've talked about the non-writing prophets. They are prophets that didn't write a book as far as we know. That includes Samuel, even though there's two books ascribed to him. It's because he is the main character. We've talked about Elijah and Elisha. But then in the 9th century B.C., uh, we didn't even talk about Obadiah and Joel. But then we've talked about the 8th century prophets, Jonah, Amos, Micah, Hosea, and Isaiah was the major prophet. That's who we talked about for two sermons. And this morning we're talking about the 7th century prophets, which include Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, who we're just not even going to talk about. They're there. And you see on the front part of your page, there's actually the 7th century prophets, and it talks about their dates and who they uh, prophesied against or concerning the major prophet of the seventh century is Jeremiah and I wanted you to see him in his historical context and so that you can understand a little bit about where he fits actually the book of Jeremiah is the longest book in the Old Testament not according to chapters but according to the number of words or verses in it which is pretty amazing and when we come to the prophets uh, we have the major prophets, and so we have, and that's the way they put the books of the Old Testament in order. They started with the major prophets, and pretty much chronologically, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then Jeremiah's book, Lamentations, and then you have Ezekiel and Daniel, and then you have the minor prophets that are generally in chronological order, but not exactly. Um, and so you have Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, uh, Zephaniah. And so really through today we get through almost all of even the, the minor prophets, those 12, and then we will end up with Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And so, oh, I don't know. This is in my brain. There's three of you, and Byron and I are two of those that are going to care about this. Glenn Frank's the only other one. So there's just three of us, and we're going to have, a, we're going to have lunch this week and talk about this chart and whether I've got everything in order. But other than that, I know the rest of you, but I feel better. I feel better, and it's really all about me. It really is. Um, Jeremiah, even the first lady sitting over there smiling this morning, going, I don't really care about those dates or at all. Tell me about Jesus this morning, would you? Tell me something sweet. And it is Father's Day, so uh, I was sweet on Mother's Day, so I think I'm going to be harsh today. Let's just be honest. We're going to talk about God's discipline today. I think it's in line with, with fathers because if I think about my own household, I was the disciplinarian, and I know this is shocking to some of you. I was the disciplinarian, and my wife was the sweet one that, was, that if really the kids wanted anything, they went to mom. You know, let's just be honest. Because dad's stock answer was going to be no. Um, Jeremiah is a major prophet, along with Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. He is a prophet historically from the time of Josiah to the captivity. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Josiah is the last king that the scriptures said did what was right in the sight of God. He's the last. <laughs> it's downhill from here. But that is the time frame of Jeremiah. And I wanted you to look this morning to start with at his calling 
to be a prophet. In Jeremiah 1, in the first 10 verses, it says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priest who were in Anatoth, in the land of Benjamin. If I could just make a, a note there, Jeremiah is of the priestly family. He lives in a priestly town, Anatoth, which is just a couple miles north of Jerusalem, but it is in the tribe of Benjamin. It says, To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the last who did right in the sight of the Lord, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. And we learned about it in Vacation Bible School. Josiah is the boy king who comes to be a king at eight. And he, uh, Hilkiah, the pre high priest, who is not the same Hilkiah as the father of Jeremiah, uh, discovers the book of the law. And there is a revival that happens in the days of Josiah. But it is the last before the judgment of God comes upon them for their sins. Uh, but it was the 13th year of Josiah that Jeremiah started his ministry. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. And we're going to have to talk about that this morning because there's something very serious God does as a consequence to their sin. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. <laughs> if you're ever looking for a verse in the Bible of the sanctity of unborn life, Jeremiah chapter 1. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Jeremiah is probably 20 years old. In fact, if we had to put a date to it, uh, I believe this is the year 646 B.C. That's not right. It ought to be 626. My notes are wrong. I was thinking about that because he serves his 40 year. He serves 40 years as a prophet. Jeremiah said, I'm just a youth. I'm not old enough to be a prophet. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build up and to plant. And so Jeremiah, as a 20-year-old young man, is called to be a prophet of God. At the, that last verse, verse 10, there are six uh, descriptive words that God uses concerning his ministry. Four are negative. To root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down. If I have to summarize the book of Jeremiah, 
Jeremiah brought a message of bad news that God was going to bring the consequences for Judah's sin and there's no way around it but I want you to know that there is hope even though it's not the weight it's not weightier than the negative news that Jeremiah brought there is a positive note and I think proportionally somehow God uh, expresses that here in the end he says to build and to plant and one of the things that we're going to see this morning about God's discipline is that it is for God's children God's discipline is redemptive there is something that God is wanting to do of a positive nature even though he passes us through some some negative situations in our life Jeremiah's message if I had to summarize it was a message about the discipline of God there are two great episodes of discipline in the Old Testament the first one we've already passed through was the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because they did not have the faith to go up and take the promised land God said you will suffer the consequences and you will wander in those, this wilderness for 40 years until that generation is passed so that you will know when you come to the edge of the promised land in 40 years that you must respond in faith and God is able to go in and take the land uh, for you the second great episode of God's discipline for his children was the 70 years of exile bondage in Babylon and it happens at the end of Jeremiah's ministry his years of prophesying lead up to that moment one of the truths that I want you to know is that God disciplines his children redemptively uh, God is not an angry God he is not a mean God he is not a vindictive God yes God is holy and he is righteous and he will not overlook sin but I want you to know for his children when God disciplines us it is redemptive there is something that God is wanting to teach the children of Israel he is wanting to teach us today it is not punishment for the sake of punishment it is punishment with a point um, I made it a practice <laughs> speaking of those little children that were blessed into my family here on Father's Day yes y'all know I have a little bit of sadistic side you know when anytime I talk about discipline or with my children you know there's a certain glimmer in my eye and you know we used to say these things like this is gonna hurt me more than it hurts you oh no sometimes it feels good let's just be honest <laughs> anyhow that is not the point this morning that is not the point I am not God I'm not to be equated with Jesus in, at any level um, I am a sinner at best saved by grace but one of the things I did, uh, and I discovered this as a parent, and partly it was because of my temper, that when it came to the point that the children were going to be punished, we have a little preacher's kid just going out right now. Yes. Hayden, we're praying for you, brother. All right? Good luck with that. Um, that 
I would send my children to their beds. When it came time, they were going to get a spanking. They had, they'd crossed the line. We'd given them a little bit of grace, but no. No, that's it. And let's just be honest. Hayden, uh, speaking of my Hayden, yeah. Uh, for every spanking, all three other of the children ever got, Hayden got five. <laughs> that's a cumulative. That's everything. But anyhow, we don't have time. We don't have time. I told Hayden I was going to talk about him this morning. Uh, I would send them to their beds. One thing is that allowed me to cool off. And the other thing it allowed me to do is that when I sat beside their bed, before they got their spanking, listen, it had already been determined, you're going to get a spanking. I don't care how much you cry, how much you apologize at this point. No, you cross the line, you're going to get a spanking. And the problem is, now you get a little sermon before the spanking. I wanted them to understand if they were able, why they were about to get a, a spanking. And why is that as a father? Because this was a teaching moment. What you have done is not acceptable, and I'm going to reinforce that on your backside here in just a moment. But through my words, I want you to know what it is that you have done that is wrong, that is not acceptable for your father or your mother. And so... When I studied Jeremiah this week, I got that sense. The handwriting is on the wall. God has already determined, I'm going to bring judgment on my children because of what they have done. But I am going to use Jeremiah and the other 7th century prophets to tell you why God is about to do this. I want you to know before it comes, because, why is that? Because God's discipline is redemptive. He wants you to learn the life lesson in the midst of this. Not just, it's not just that God is, it's not that God is mean or vindictive. It's that he wants us to learn. And sometimes the only way we learn is through pain. And God understands that. But think about it. God sends prophet after prophet after prophet to say, this is the problem. And Jeremiah's ministry in my brain is that sermon before the spanking as my children sat on the bed and I sat beside their bed, knelt beside their bed to say, this is why this is not acceptable. This is what you have done that is wrong. Um, I want to look, Peyton, can we show the timeline? Um, just real quickly. I want you to get this. Because there are really, the fall of Jerusalem is a huge event. We cannot even fathom this as a people that a foreign country would come in and destroy our capital, our place of worship, and haul off its citizens. This is a huge event. In fact, there were prophets in Jeremiah's day that said God will never do it. And Jeremiah quotes them, and they would say, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord is his. God will never allow his temple to be destroyed. We're safe and sound. Hmm. Really, the ten northern tribes of Israel are taken over by the Assyrians in 722. This is very significant. There is a divided kingdom, the southern tribes of, of Judah and Benjamin that are summarized as being Judah the ten northern tribes 
The ten northern tribes did not have one king that did right in the sight of the Lord. And in 722, God brings his judgment upon them. The Assyrians come and take them and their land. And this is what happens. The Assyrians repopulate their land with the poorest people of the land with foreigners. And those people of, of the northern kingdom become the Samaritans, which are a half-breaded Jew. That's wrong. Yeah. I don't mean half-breaded. Bread. Intermarried. I'm sorry. I'm, this is why Byron says you ought to type out your notes, Dad. I miss this. Anyhow, they intermarry with foreigners and they become this half-race, not exactly pure Jews anymore. Uh, and they're never the same after that. Judah survives all of that, and you see in this inner period between then, then God sends these prophets, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Jeremiah. In 612, the Assyrians are taken over by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians come in 605, and they defeat the Egyptians. On your, your sheet that I ask you to memorize, Glenn, uh, on the back, it talks about world powers. And so, Glenn, we'll talk about that at lunch this week, okay, with you and Byron and I, the only three people in the room that care. But you see the world powers and how they came and they went, and originally the Syrians in the ninth century, and then the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians exist for, on the dominant world power for about 100 years, and then they're overtaken by the Medo-Persians, which is going to be actually uh, something that's going to come up in the next couple weeks. The Babylonians come in 605 and they take part of the people, the cream of the crop. Daniel leaves at that point. They come again in 597, but finally in 586, the Babylonians come and they've just had it with the rebellion of Judah and they just level them. They level the city, they level the temple, they haul off as many people as they can into exile in Babylon. It is a huge statement. Um, and Peyton, can we show the map? Um, yeah. You see the Assyrian Empire to the north uh, between the Tigris and Euphrates, and you see its capital of Nineveh. And um, then you see Babylon, the Babylonian Empire comes, and you see their capital city. This is not a trick question. Their, Babyl their capital city is Babylon. Okay just for the test. Uh, and so geographically you see these world powers. In fact, you can even see uh, the Midian Empire even further to the east. And Egypt is also a power, but generally not in these years. It's never the dominant world power. And so I want you to see that. Um, in, in Jeremiah chapter 2, I have to just summarize this for you. What is the answer to the question, why? What is it that Judah has done that is so bad that God would get their attention in such an unbelievable way? Three verses, just to help you. I mean, this is the longest book in the Old Testament. But if I had to get it down to just the essence of it, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11... This is what God says. Has a nation changed its gods? 
which are not God's. But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. Here it is. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What Jeremiah says as the answer to the question why is Judah has broken their covenant with God that he would be their God and they would find their life in him. He is like a spring of water that they were to drink from and to quench their thirst. They were to turn to him. But decade after decade and for several centuries, they had looked to other things to be their God. And whether it was a pagan God or it was a, it was a nation, they turned to other things. They broke their vow of commitment before God. Um, God says he is like a fountain of living waters that are a constant stream of water. He says you have hewn out cisterns which were large containers that were reservoirs for collecting rainwater. He said, but your cisterns have cracks in them. They're never going to hold any water. You're never going to find your ultimate satisfaction in those things. They're always broken. At the very essence, God says you have violated that covenant relationship that I would be your God and you would be my people and you would find your total satisfaction in life in me. And God says because of that, I'm about to take drastic measures. 586, the Babylonians come. And think about what Israel, Judah loses. They lose their land they lose their capital city. They lose their place of worship, the temple. Everything that God had given them and blessed them because he had entered into a relationship, a covenant relationship with them, God says, I'm going to take all of that away. Do you say, wait a second. That doesn't seem fair. That seems awful harsh. But do you understand the force of what God is saying? Your complete devotion to me is worth everything and here's the point and it's on your sheet you cannot live apart from God and live in the blessing of God you cannot live apart from God and live in the blessing of God. Because all of those external things are a part of the blessing of God, but the reason God blessed us and them with those things is because we were his covenant people, we were his children, that he had entered into a relationship with and when we violate the relationship by turning to other things for our our sense of satisfaction and devotion God said I will do whatever I have to do I will take away whatever I have to take away because this is the point it's not about punishment 
It's about the point that God is saying, your devotion and relationship with me is worth more than anything else. And whatever I have to take away to teach you that lesson, I will take away. And God does just that. Jeremiah announces God's judgment. The strange thing about Jeremiah's book is it was not a time of repentance. Strangely enough, Jeremiah's message, and he does say repent and turn back to God, but he never says if you will change your ways, God will not bring judgment. Yeah. <laughs> I liken this to my kids. There was a point where they had crossed a line. They were going to get a spanking. And it didn't matter how many tears were shed, how repentant they are, that's good. It's good you're sorry for what you've done, but there are, there's going to be consequences. And Judah had crossed the line. And Jeremiah is just explaining the why. Why is God going to do this? Judgment was certain. In fact, it got, it got Jeremiah in all kinds of trouble. Well, one aspect of what Jeremiah in his message, and I found this three times in Jeremiah. There are three times in the book of Jeremiah that God tells the prophet, do not pray for these people. Oh my, that seems a little harsh. God said, no. Judgment is, there's no reason to intercede for them, Jeremiah. Judgment is coming. They've crossed the line. I'm going to have to teach them a life lesson. It's going to cost them 70 years, but hopefully they will learn the lesson. The other aspect of this is Jeremiah is, is persecuted like no other prophet. In fact, I had to list it on your sheet, your reference sheet. Uh, the persecutions of Jeremiah by the people of his hometown, by the priest, by the other prophets, uh, by the princes, everybody. He is plotted against, he is beaten, he is imprisoned, he is threatened with his life, he is accused of treason. And it is because Jeremiah said, your only recourse is to unconditionally surrender to the Babylonians who have surrounded us once again. That's not a very po positive message if you're trying to withhold a siege by an invading army. It's like, let's hunker down here. Let's do everything we can to get through this. Jeremiah says, no, there's no reason. They're about to destroy you. Your only recourse to be saved is for you to unconditionally surrender to the Babylonians. But that's treasonous talk inside the city. And so Jeremiah is persecuted like no other prophet. And so in Jeremiah chapter 29, This is what Jeremiah says, and these are verses that we all know, but maybe we don't know the context of them. It's actually a letter that Jeremiah writes to the first group of exiles that have gone out, and this is what Jeremiah says, and this is the redemptive, forward-looking purpose of what God has done. Jeremiah 29.10, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this 
place. God's discipline is redemptive. It is not punitive. It is not vindictive. It is to make a point. And God said, we're going to make this point for 70 years. You're going to be taken off in exile. You will know that your devotion, complete devotion to me, is more important to me than anything else, even the temple, which is a symbol of my glory. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. The discipline of God is redemptive. God disciplines his children. He does not disown them. There are other passages in Jeremiah in which God says, I will just destroy that nation and they will never come back. I will just destroy them. But for the children of God, God disciplines them redemptively and God says it's going to cost you 70 years in Babylon I want you to know the point that I'm making here but after 70 years by my strong hand I will bring you back to this place and so I want you to see in the big picture in the story there are times where discipline was necessary for God's people but that he does it redemptively he does not disown us. In fact, his discipline is an expression of his love and grace so that we will learn the lessons that God wants us to learn that more than anything else, he wants our complete devotion. And if he does not have our complete devotion, then we cannot live in the blessing of God and God will withdraw the, his blessing to make that point. Now, for us, 2,700 years later, as the children of God, God also disciplines us redemptively that we might li learn life lessons. Um, this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. Uh, and I want you to understand that God passes us through circumstances in our life many times as a consequence of our sin to help us learn the lesson that God has for us. Uh, sometimes God will do it over and over and over and over and over and over until we learn the lesson of what God has for us in the midst of that. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be at the front. Byron's going to be at the front. Um, the altar is open. Uh, there may be uh, some that would say, you know, I just need to get before God. And I understand that there's a lesson that God is teaching me in the midst of this <laughs> that I need to surrender to and acknowledge and to bring myself back to the place to say, God, I want to be completely devoted to you. Uh, 
there may be other decisions you may feel led to join our church you may need to follow the Lord in believers baptism you may have heard the gospel this week at vacation Bible school and you know you need to give your life to Christ you need to become a child of God and so whatever your decision is uh, we invite you to come as God leads you as we sing